Christmas, my kids refer to this day every year as Christmas Adam because it comes right before Christmas Eve. That's good stuff, right? So today uh, I get to light the fourth candle of Advent and bring our Advent sermon series to a conclusion. Tomorrow night at 4 o'clock, tomorrow afternoon I guess at 4 o'clock, I'll light the fifth and final candle as we celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to invite a friend or two to that service tomorrow at four in the afternoon. Uh, Studies have shown that your unchurched, your uh, unbelieving neighbor is more likely to come to Christmas Eve service than any other service of the year. And if that is true, if that's even close to true, we want to capitalize on that. And so I encourage you to invite all your friends, all of your neighbors to come to Christmas Eve service uh, tomorrow afternoon at 4 o'clock. We're going to do something a little bit different tomorrow evening. Instead of having family stand up and read the scriptures to you, it's going to be all children uh, tomorrow, tomorrow afternoon. And so that will either be great or not. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be great, but it's a risk-reward thing that I'm willing to do. All right, so throughout December, we have been focusing our time on significant words, significant themes of Christmas. All of these have had their focus and their foundation in Jesus. Jesus is our peace. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our joy. And today, as the video said, we are going to look at the Christmas theme of love. Now, there are one million places we could go in the Bible to talk about love, right? And I want us to talk about love today from 1 John chapter 4. Do you have your Bible? 1 John chapter 4 is where you need to turn, and as you turn there in your Bibles, I want to tell you a cool story uh, that I heard from Central Asia this week. Our friend Matt sent me a text and said, the Central Asian house church met this morning for their normal weekly service, and obviously Christmas was the theme. They watched the Magdalene film in the local language, which is an evangelism movie that's like the Jesus film, but narrated from Mary Magdalene's perspective. And one of the local brothers who happens to be from a neighboring closed country, texted the whole church group afterwards, 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, as his favorite Christmas verse. That same local brother, along with Matt's best friend, got together and led another local man to Christ today. He had come with a friend because they had told him there was going to be a movie in their language that helped explain Christmas. This guy watched the film, was confronted with the gospel, was wrecked by his sin, and wanted to be saved. These two local brothers spent quite a while testing his genuineness and challenging him with the surety of persecution before praying over him as he cried out to God in repentance and faith. Hallelujah, right? So, the yeah, I'd say, yeah. So Matt says, there you have it. On the authority of a Muslim background believer from a closed country, 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 is the best Christmas text. Um, which is good because we had already decided that this was going to be the text for today. Got some affirmation from the other side of the planet, so we're going for it today, right? So I want you to read with me 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. That's what our text is going to be today, and there is much for us to see about God's love. This is what God's Word says. 1 John Not the gospel of John, the letter, first letter of John, chapter 4, verse 9 says, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, 
if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful today for your great love. Your great love that is ultimately demonstrated in Christ dying in our place. Your great love that you show to us even though we don't deserve it. We want to ponder this love today. We want to wonder at this love today. We want to delight in it. And we want to proclaim this love today. And we want to respond to the love that we have received from you by loving the people around us. We pray uh, that you will empower us toward that today. That you will show us your love and show us how to love like you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So today, I want to draw your attention to three big ideas about God's love from the text, and then we'll go to one very clear application. And the whole sermon can be summed up in one sentence. This is it. Actually, two sentences. God sent His Son as a demonstration of His love for the purpose of giving us life through propitiation. Therefore, we should love one another. I'll say it again. God sent His Son as a demonstration of His love for the purpose of giving us life through propitiation. Therefore, we should love one another. That's the whole sermon. We're going to pick it apart and talk about it a little bit at a time. First thing is that God sent his son. That's what Christmas is all about, right? And what I want us to see today goes far beyond the amazement that comes with the circumstances of Jesus' birth, with the facts of Jesus' birth. They are amazing. When we talk about a virgin conceiving, that's amazing. When we talk about angels encouraging, that's amazing. When we talk about a cousin who rejoices in the womb of his mother at the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's amazing. When we talk about prophecy that is fulfilled around the birth of the Lord Jesus, it's amazing. When we talk about Nazareth and Bethlehem and Egypt, it's amazing. When we talk about these shepherds out in the field being visited by an angel, that's amazing. When we talk about wise men who travel from afar and give these gifts to baby Jesus. It's amazing. All of these things are amazing, but what I want us to see in the text and the several texts that we'll look at tomorrow afternoon is that Jesus wasn't just born. He was sent. He wasn't just born. He was sent on a mission with a purpose. You see, the birth of Jesus is not the beginning of the story of Jesus. Jesus has always existed. Look at John chapter 1, verse 1 with me. It'll be on the screen. The gospel of John. He starts his gospel by saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And when he's talking about Word there, that's his, his creative way to refer to Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing has come into being that has come into being. The birth of Jesus, Christmas, is not the beginning of the story of Jesus. Jesus has always existed. Christmas is about the mission of Jesus. Jesus was sent here at Christmas for a purpose, to do a job, to accomplish a task. So as much as those things that I mentioned a minute ago are true... And we should celebrate angels and shepherds and wise men and all of the prophecy that is fulfilled. If all that was there about Jesus is some kind of crazy cool birth story, he couldn't change our lives. There is more to the story of Jesus. And I want us to think more of the story of Jesus this Christmas. I want us to see that he was sent on a mission. And that mission is dripping with love. 
Remember, God sent his son as a demonstration of his love, as a demonstration of his love. Earlier in this chapter of 1 John, John said, God is love. God is love. Not just that God is loving or that God loves, but that God is love. And here in the text we're looking at today, is a, he's explaining a little bit of what that means or what that looks like. And there are two big ideas I want us to see about God's love from this part of the text. First, God's love is demonstrated. God's love is demonstrated in concrete, objective acts. When God speaks of his love, he's not speaking of mere emotion. He's not talking about something that is invisible. No, God's love is demonstrated in concrete, objective acts. Warren Wearsby describes it like this. He says, because God is love, he must communicate, not only in words, but in deeds. True love is never static or inactive. God's love is demonstrated in concrete and objective acts. Secondly, I want us to see from the text in 1 John that God's love is undeserved. God's love for us is undeserved love. It's not as if God loves us because we love Him. It's not as if we started this, that He loves us because we already loved Him, or that He loves us because we are in and of ourselves lovely. No. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says, We love because He first loved us. The reason why we love him or the reason why we love each other is because God first loved us. A scholar named John Phillips says it like this. God set in motion the whole process of reconciliation and propitiation. The entire plan was driven by the force of his love. There was nothing in us to prompt God to love us. God's love is spontaneous. That's a great word. God's love is spontaneous and finds its sole and adequate source in him. We did not love him. In fact, we talked about this a while back, right? That we, in our natural state, apart from Christ, are enemies of God. We did not love him. Rather, he loved us. God sent his son as a demonstration of his love for the purpose of giving us life through propitiation. That's the next part that we want to tease out. He sent his son as a demonstration of his, of his love for the purpose of giving us life through propitiation. Now, if you've been with us on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights over the last couple of years, we studied closely several passages that have this purpose clause in them. Hina is the Greek word um, translated most often as so that. It gives us a sense of the purpose of an action that God accomplishes. And here we see the purpose of his sending his son is so that we might live. So that we might live. Why did Jesus come? He came so that we might live. And there are two big ideas that I want us to see there. Number one is apart from Christ, in our natural condition, we are dead. We are not alive. If you are apart from the Lord Jesus Christ right now, you're dead. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. You are not alive. You may be walking around, you may be breathing and moving, but spiritually speaking, you are dead. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says the wages of sin is death, right? That's what we get for our sin is death. Ephesians chapter 2 Beginning, Paul says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And he goes on as he talks about the gospel and teases out the gospel. And he says, but God has made us alive together with Christ. First thing I want you to see 
and the purpose of Jesus coming to give us life is that he must come to give us life because in our natural condition, we are dead. Second thing I want you to see is that God sent his son not just so that we could be forgiven of our sins, not just so that we could be reconciled to the Father in right relationship with him, but so that we might come to life, so that we might live, not just have a new status, not just have a new name, but have a new life. And Jesus says it like this in John chapter 10, verse 10. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You are dead apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. In your trespasses and sins, you are dead. And I'm telling you, Jesus came to bring you to life. He came so that you might live. But notice, this life only comes through him. It only comes through him. Make no mistake. The only way to have this life, this abundant life of which Jesus speaks in John chapter 10, is through faith in Jesus Christ. This life-giving mission of Jesus is not applied generally to all mankind in some kind of universalism. No, rather, the life of Jesus, the life Jesus offers, is offered to all kinds of men. In, in the gospel, the gift of life, the gift of eternal life, is offered to all men. There is an inclusive side of the gospel. And I want to offer the life that Jesus alone can give to everyone in the room today. And everyone who might hear this at some point in history. I want to offer you life that comes through Jesus Christ. It's for all kinds of people. But this life is only applied to and received by faith in Jesus Christ. There is an exclusive part of the gospel as well. So while the offer of the gospel is universal, the application of the gospel is specific. It is specific to those who will trust in Jesus Christ. Al Mohler says it like this. There's only one door, but that one door is an open door. Right? And so I want to invite you through the open door that is Jesus Christ to receive the gift of life. Make no mistake, the only way to have the life of which Jesus speaks is through faith in him. Notice, he came for the purpose of giving us life through propitiation. Look what it says in the text. It says, by this the love of God was manifested in us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be their propitiation for our sins. There is a major question when we study the Bible. When we read in the Bible about God's perfect holiness, when we read about his perfect righteousness, when we read about his role as the judge of the entire universe, that he is holy, 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 and he must punish sin. When we read that, and then when we read what the Bible says about us as mankind and our sinfulness, and our depravity, and our rebellion, and our sin, how can a holy God have a relationship with a sinful man? How can the God who is righteous and just ever have a relationship with someone like me who is sinful at his core? And the answer is through the death of Jesus Christ. The answer is propitiation. How can God forgive sinners and remain just? Only through propitiation. Now, Wayne Grudem gives us a simple definition of the word propitiation when he says, Propitiation is a sacrifice that bears God's wrath to the end 
and in so doing changes God's wrath toward us into favor. Now, there's a ton going on there. There's a ton of good gospel stuff going on there when we talk about propitiation. When we talk about propitiation, we've got the idea of substitution, a sacrifice in our place. When we talk about Jesus as our sacrifice, he is taking the punishment that we deserve. You know who should die? I should die. You know who should die? You should die because of your sins. You know who died? Jesus, in your place, as your substitute. We've got substitution. We've got atonement when we talk about propitiation. We've got the covering of our sins. We've got expiation, the taking away of our sins. Propitiation is such a rich word. that It's a sacrifice that bears God's wrath to the end and in so doing changes God's wrath toward us, which is the default position because of our sinfulness, into favor, which can only be accomplished through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, right? So, so how do we have life? It's through the propitiation that Jesus offers in his death. So God sent his son as an act of love in order to give us life through propitiation. Therefore, when we think about Jesus' birth, we must think about the mission for which he came. He came to die. Jesus came to die. He was born to die for us as propitiation. It seems to me that throughout the scriptures, the emphasis of the story of Jesus is not on the birth of Jesus, but the death of Jesus, right? In fact, only two of the four gospel writers give us any information about the birth of Jesus. But everybody who writes in the New Testament talks about the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe let me say it another way. It is important that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, like it says in, first, in John, chapter 14, John chapter 1, verse 14. On the screen it says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's important that Jesus was made flesh. And that's a big part of what we celebrate at Christmas time. At Christmas time, we celebrate the incarnation of Jesus, that he became flesh. And it is important that that happened. But I would argue today that it is more important that he became sin for us. It is one thing for him to become flesh, but he became flesh so that he could become sin and die as our substitute. Die as propitiation for us. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, when he says, He made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So this Christmas, let's not just celebrate that he became flesh. Let's celebrate that he became sin and died in our place so that we might live, so that we might be righteous in the sight of God and have life that is everlasting. So God sent his son as a demonstration of his love for the purpose of giving us life through propitiation. Therefore, here's the application of the day. Therefore, we should love one another. That's exactly what John says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 11, when he says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is the application. Notice John, first of all, says, calls us beloved. He's writing this to his people, his church family. 
that he loves and his brothers and sisters in Christ, and he calls them beloved. They are beloved by John, but more than that, they are beloved by God, right? Those who are in Christ, those who have received this gift of life through faith in Jesus Christ are beloved. Beloved by their pastor and beloved by God. He says, beloved, if God so loved us, and the word if there really carries the weight of since, because God so loved us, we should love one another. And when he says, so God so loved us, we tend to think he loved us so because he so much loved us. We shouldn't think here about the quantity of God's love, however. We should think about the nature of God's love. If God loves us like this, if God loves us in this illogical, undeserved, self-sacrificing way, if he loves us like that, then we should love one another, right? That's the logic that John is using here, that because God loves us in this way, we should love one another in a similar way. And this is not a one-off teaching in 1 John chapter 4. It's not a one-off teaching just in John, in his writings in the New Testament. This is consistent throughout the scriptures. Let me show you three places. First is in 1 John chapter 3. Look what God's word says about us loving one another. It says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? You you get the logic there? Like, how, how does that make sense? If you have God's love and you don't love each other, that just, it just doesn't make any sense. But if you have God's love, you will want to love one another. If he laid down his life for you, you lay down your life for one another. It makes sense that we would, we would pass on the same kind of love that we have received. John, in his gospel, in chapter 15, records Jesus saying, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. This sacrificial, self-giving love of Jesus is commanded by Jesus of his followers. He says, this is the way I love you, by laying down my life for you. Therefore, you love one another in that same way. Finally, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says it like this to the church. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. That is, that is tension in relationships. And he says, rather, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. You catch that? Like you, you, if you are in Christ, are the recipients of great love from God illogical, self-sacrificing love from God that gives you life. And if you have received that kind of love from God, you should be ready, willing, desperate to share that kind of love with the people around you. Did you catch in the video that that's the way Jesus answers the question about what's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest commandment? Love God and you love each other, right? That's the way it works. When we have this vertical relationship with him, we will have a horizontal relationship of peace and love with one another as well. Jesus illustrates the the opposite logic of this in a story in Matthew 18. He illustrates how crazy it is to receive this love and then not pass it on by telling a story about a, a slave who owed his master a ton of money. 
like more money than he could make in the rest of his lifetime. And he goes to his master and he says, Master, I I can't repay this. Have mercy on me. I can never repay this. And the master forgives the debt. This fortune that he owes to the master, he forgives the debt and he lets the slave go free. Well, that slave goes and finds another slave who owes him just a few dollars, some pocket change. This one who has received all of this grace then goes to his friend who owes him just a little bit of money and he says, pay me what you owe me. And the man says, I can't. I don't have it. I couldn't possibly pay that debt back. And so the slave who had just been forgiven much grabs his friend around the neck and he begins to choke him out and say, yo, you pay me what you owe me or I'll have you thrown into jail. That's crazy talk, right? And the master hears about this and he is... Not happy about it, to say the least. And yet you and I so often live like that, right? We receive this great love from God. And instead of passing on a similar kind of love to the people around us, similar kind of grace to the people around us, we find our neighbor who owes us something or has done us some little wrong, and we begin to choke him out, forgetting the love that we have been given is, is meant to be passed on through us to others. So today, and over the next few days, as we celebrate Christmas... Let's reflect on God's great love for us in Christ, in his death for our sins and his resurrection. And let's put it into practice by loving one another well during this season. Three applications today. Number one, let's celebrate the purpose of Christmas and not just the facts of Christmas. Now, if you know me well, you know I'm all about, I want to get the facts right about Christmas. Like we take that quiz every year and some of you fail it every year can't get the facts about Christmas right. We want to get the facts about Christmas right. But if we have the facts and we miss the whole purpose, we haven't, we haven't gained any ground. We want to know the facts about Christmas, but we want to rejoice and celebrate about the purpose of Christmas. Why did Jesus come? He came to die for our sins and rise again so that we could have life. He came to be the propitiation for us so that we could be forgiven and have new life. So let's celebrate not just the facts of Christmas, but the purpose of Christmas. Number two, I want you to receive the gift of life today. God offers you the most incredible gift, salvation. The most incredible gift of reconciliation to him, forgiveness of sins, eternal life. He offers you this gift and it is received by believing, by trusting in Jesus Christ. And I want you to receive that gift today. I want you to receive that gift this Christmas, the gift that gives forever and ever and ever in the future. So repent of your sins today and trust in Jesus Christ today and be saved today. Run to Jesus and as as Matt said, the man did, cry out for forgiveness and mercy and grace and find God forgiving and merciful and gracious today. And if you need someone to hold your hand and pray over you to do that, we'd be glad to do it. Nothing would thrill us more than to do that, to see you receive the gift of life today through repentance of sins and trust in Jesus Christ. And thirdly, let's love one another. If you look at this part of 1 John chapter 4, that's the, that's the tone. That's the message. Love one another. Love one another. Let's do that this Christmas with action. Not just with feelings. Not just say, oh, I'm so in love with these people. But to say, no, I'm going to love these people. Even when they are unlovely. Even when they are undeserving. Let's love one another with action. Not just, not just words. 
Not just phrases, but with action, let's love one another, and with sacrifice, let's love one another. Let's be willing to lay down our lives for one another, for the good of people around you, to give yourself up, just like Jesus gave himself up for us. Let's stand together and pray. Father, we are amazed at your love for us, your uh, illogical, undeserved, self-sacrificing love for us that is most clearly seen in the death of Jesus for our sins. Thank you that you sent your Son as a demonstration of your love for us for the purpose of giving us life through propitiation. Pray for your people, that you'd help us to rejoice over that this Christmas time, that we would celebrate not just the facts of Christmas, but the purpose of Christmas, and that we would love one another well in light of the great love we have received, that we would lay down our lives for one another, that we would sacrifice, and that we would love one another with action and not mere words, that we would do it when it's illogical when it's undeserved and surprising and spontaneous, help us to love like you love. And Father, we pray for men and women and boys and girls in this room who are lost and they are dead in their trespasses and sins and they are without hope in their natural state. Pray that today you will give them the gift of life, the gift of forgiveness. Teach them about your holiness. Teach them about their sinfulness. Show them the beauty of Christ dying on the cross for them. And I pray that you give them repentance to turn away from sin and faith to trust in Jesus. And that you'll rescue and redeem them for the sake of your own name and certainly for their good for eternity. God, have your way as we respond to your word. In Christ's name we pray.